Today's reading is from John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, we are looking tonight at a wonderful um, encounter between Jesus and a, a person who found faith difficult. It's a, it's a wonderful passage. Let's, let's pray for God's help as we try to understand it together tonight. Let's, let's pray. Father, as we think back to those wonderful and world-changing events of that first Easter, we we praise you and glorify you for that message. And yet we also confess tonight that sometimes we find faith difficult. That we find it at times hard to believe the message of Easter. And so I pray for each one of us in whatever position we find ourselves in tonight. With whatever doubts we may or may not have. I pray that you'd help us tonight to be like Thomas, who cried out, my Lord and my God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Doubt can come in different shapes and in different sizes. There are different reasons and different seasons to why we may doubt as we think about the very first Easter and as we think about the claims of Christianity that Christ died on the cross and came back to life three days later, we, I guess, are all tempted at times to doubt the truth of that claim. One reason why people doubt is sheer ignorance of the facts. Uh, I got to know a, a student here at Oxford a few years ago and when I first met him, he was absolutely adamant that Christianity was not for him. He was convinced it was a load of rubbish. Um, I asked him if he knew anything about it. And he said, well, no, not really. Um, and he came along to a talk which explained, I guess, the, the essence of the Easter story, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And at the end of the talk, he was amazed. He was almost speechless. He had no idea 
that was what Christianity was about. And uh, he signed up for a course to find out more about Christianity. Sheer ignorance of the facts can be one reason why some people doubt Christianity and doubt the Easter story. Another cause of doubt is a more subtle dynamic that goes on in each one of our hearts. It's a dynamic I could best describe by using a, a made-up story, but a story which is so often true. Um, imagine a, a husband who's got a busy job, working hard in the office, lots of demands and time uh, pressures on him, and he finds it hard to uh, juggle everything. And so gradually he's not coming to church quite as often as he used to, maybe not able to go to a midweek group. Uh, just gradually he finds it hard to, to spend time each day maybe reading the scriptures and praying to God. Uh, Christian fellowship gets squeezed out gradually. And then maybe after a year, a new female colleague joins the office and there's chemistry straight away with this new colleague. Time goes on. A year later, this husband wakes up one morning next to a woman who's not his wife and it suddenly hits him that that Christian faith he used to believe in is, is a load of rubbish. It's not true to him anymore. You see, that kind of doubt is a doubt that is a journey of a thousand decisions, just little small decisions along the way. And the truth is that the way we are wired as humans, there is a connection between what we do and what we believe. Oh yes, what we believe affects our actions, but our actions affect what we believe. And so often doubt can be the cause of our actions. Not always, but it can be. Another reason for doubt can be our circumstances. Maybe we are going through a particularly difficult time in our lives, a form of suffering. Maybe God feels very distant, very absent indeed. Maybe we're just exhausted, short on sleep, unable to think clearly, and we just feel down and on the back foot. There are lots of reasons why doubt can come our way, even if we're Christians. There are many other reasons for doubt I haven't mentioned. And in my experience, the Bible speaks into pretty much every kind of doubt I've ever heard of or come across in my own life. Whether implicitly or explicitly, the Bible gives us insights and answers. This uh, famous passage tonight about doubting Thomas is a passage about doubt, but if we are going to understand how it deals with doubt, we need to understand that it is looking at one particular kind of doubt. This is not a generic wand which you wave over every single kind of doubt and suddenly doubt disappears. No, there is a particular kind of issue at work in this passage which speaks into a particular kind of doubt. And we need to understand what that doubt is if we are to understand the, the impact and punch of this wonderful encounter tonight. So with that in mind, let's, let's look down at this passage. And I've got three, three headings. Um, first of all, number one, a cynic speaks out. And the main character of our passage, Thomas, he is a cynic. He's often known as Doubting Thomas. And the reason why Thomas doubts is, is there for us in verse 24. Now, now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was 
not with the disciples when Jesus came. You can imagine Thomas must have been gutted. We don't know what happened. Maybe he popped out to do some shopping or to see a friend. And while he's out, the other ten uh, disciples, well, they, they claim to have, to have seen the, the risen Lord who three days earlier was clearly crucified on the cross, dead. And then he comes back from the shops and they said, we've seen him, he's alive. If I was Thomas, I'd be gutted, absolutely gutted. But also he doesn't buy it. He hasn't seen it for himself. He hasn't seen the risen Lord. And he, he will not, he won't believe without, verse 25, this. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe, says Thomas. In other words, a cynic speaks out. He says, I will not believe that Christ is alive when I saw him clearly killed unless I see him for myself. So now, what kind of doubt is that? I don't think Thomas is an atheist. He's a devout Jew, and from elsewhere in John's Gospel, it seems that he clearly believes in God. So this isn't kind of the atheist speaking here. We have no evidence that Thomas has drifted into some grievous sin. So what kind of doubt is this? Well... Let's put ourselves into Thomas' shoes just for a moment. He's, he's one of the 12 disciples, which means that he's been a companion of Jesus for maybe three years or so. He has followed Jesus day in, day out, through high and low. He's been a loyal companion. And you can imagine him thinking as Jesus draws near to Jerusalem, this is the moment when my hero, my Messiah, my Christ Jesus He is going to declare himself king of the world. He's going to rescue my people, the Jews, from Roman occupation. This is going to be the moment of celebration and liberation. And of course, what happens? His hero is killed. And that has got to throw you. I don't care who you are. That has got to throw you. Dreams crushed. All the plans and visions of the future gone in one dreadful day. And you can imagine Thomas being a cynic, being disillusioned. He has been kind of, the whole world has fallen apart around Thomas. And so imagine how Thomas feels when some of his mates say to him, we've seen Jesus, he's come alive again. Thomas has got to be thinking, "Mm -mm, not again. I am not going to be sold a story that gets my hopes up, only for me to be crushed again. I cannot cope with that again. And that is why Thomas is insistent that he needs proof that the person he saw crucified on the cross and declared dead with a spear in his side, that that very same person is alive again. Otherwise, he cannot cope with that crushing disappointment of another lie, another failed dream. And there is something admirable about Thomas here, I think. He refuses to be conned. He refuses to believe too easily. 
And I think at this point at least, Thomas deserves some credit. Because I think there are some Christians who believe too easily, who have a very light view of their faith, who happily pick up anything and everything and run with it without thinking through why they believe what they believe. I'm sure you all know that tomorrow is April 1st, which is, of course, uh, April Fool's Day. And I'm sure none of you will be caught out by any practical jokes. Uh, A number of years ago, the BBC famously ran a story about um, a very special kind of farm which, uh, which grew spaghetti. Uh, there's a picture from that video clip of a, of a lady uh, harvesting spaghetti from this special plant. And there's a documentary all about how to harvest spaghetti and the challenges of different seasons and how you, you care for the, the spaghetti and a whole bit about how you make sure each strand is the same length, which is actually quite difficult. And the thing is, people believe the story. After that was run, and this was run decades ago, people believed that there was somewhere in Europe spaghetti farms churning out many strands of spaghetti. See, people can believe too easily. People can be gullible. And I have to say, there are Christians around in this country and in other countries who believe anything and everything. Maybe it's some TV evangelist who promises all kinds of wonderful things if you give a certain amount of cash. Uh, people who claim to have a cast iron way of healing you if you, if you do the right thing. Uh, people who claim to be greater than they are. And Thomas speaks into that ease of belief. And he says, no, I need to have good evidence for my belief. And there is something admirable about the cynic at that point. That's our first point. The cynic speaks out. But secondly, a cynic cries out. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. He hadn't gone to the shops this time. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And it seems that the risen Lord Jesus had somehow overheard Thomas's previous remarks because Jesus then says, verse 27, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. In other words, Jesus somehow knew the, the, the cry of the cynic. He knew what, what Thomas had said And he speaks kindly right into that point and says, if you need proof and evidence, here, have a look. The man who was crucified and confirmed dead with a spear in his side, this man was alive again and in front of Thomas. But note how Thomas responds. He doesn't say like a scientist, ah, I see, very impressive. You are the same person. Well done, very, very good, very impressed. I'm convinced, excellent. No, he cries out one of the most wonderful cries you will ever read in all of Scripture. My Lord and my God. A cynic cries out. 
Now, some commentators have tried to argue that what Thomas is actually saying here is more of an exclamation, something like, and forgive the rudeness, my Lord, my God. Maybe in response to the gruesomeness of, of the nail marks he sees in the hands in front of him. Of course, by saying that, you kind of take away the, the gravity of, of, the, of the claim that Thomas is making. But this explanation won't do. You know, this is nothing short than a full profession of faith in Jesus as God on earth. First of all, no devout Jew in first century Judaism would take God's name in vain like that. And secondly, Jesus would not commend Thomas for what he just said, but he does seem to in the next verse. Now, this is not some sort of exclamation of surprise. This is a profession of faith in Jesus as God on earth. My Lord and my God, cries the cynic. It seems to me that at that moment in time, all the pieces of the puzzle for Thomas just fell into place. Maybe the words of Jesus before the cross, warning his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer and be killed and then would rise again on the third day. Maybe his mission, that the purpose of this great rescue mission to earth became clear to Thomas. Whatever it was, at that moment he realized exactly who his master was. This carpenter from Nazareth was nothing less than God on earth. A cynic cries out. Well, that's great, you might be thinking. Well done for Thomas. I'm very glad for him that he was able to see such a wonderful piece of evidence for him. What about me sitting here 2,000 years later? How can I believe? Well, thirdly and lastly, we see a cynic sent out. Uh, this next verse, I think, has confused uh, many people over the years. Uh, in response to this wonderful confession of Thomas, we read in verse 29. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, the confusion comes because some people think that what is being said here is something like this. Thomas, you are a rational man who cares about evidence and logic and consistency. That's great. Uh, well done for believing. But blessed is a person who takes a blind leap in the dark, who does not care about the evidence or whether it's rational or not. And if you can believe like that, you're even better. Well done. Let me say, I think that is to miss the complete point of what is being said here in verse 29. Nowhere in the Bible are we encouraged to have a faith which is a blind leap in the dark, a sort of fingers crossed, and I hope it's true kind of faith. No, faith in the Bible is a, a tested and stable conviction based on good evidence and carefully gathered fact. In verse 29, Jesus is not calling us to, to blind faith. Instead, what I think he is implying by his words to Thomas is a very simple point, which is that 
by necessity, the cross had to be a, an historic event which took place at a certain time, at a certain place in history. Which means that by definition, lots of the world cannot and will not see the risen Lord Jesus. And for those who are not alive at that point in history, their faith must be based on the eyewitness accounts of those who were there. In other words, Thomas is a converted cynic who's being sent out into the world to tell the world what his journey has been like. I needed evidence. I needed truth and fact. I found it. Now listen to my story. A cynic sent out into the world. And can I say, this, this kind of faith is not unusual to us. Uh, this l- believing other people's testimony. Each one of us, every day, lives our lives based on other people's testimonies and stories. I'm guessing none of us uh, were actually in London this afternoon watching the boat race at 4 o'clock or 4.30. You would have been very quick to get back here in time. But um, I am personally convinced that, uh, and I'm sorry to spoil it if you haven't watched it yet, but that um, Oxford beat Cambridge in the boat race. Sorry, I know some of you just gasped at that point. But um, I watched the, the pictures on the TV screen. Now, I know that in this day and age, the BBC can probably do some amazing wizardry with pictures and, and confuse the images. But um, what I saw, what I heard on the audio commentary, uh, the crowds reacting on the, on the side of the, the river, I, I am convinced that I know the results with, with, with certainty of, of that race. Now, I wasn't there. I didn't stand on the bank. I didn't watch the actual race unfold with my very eyes. But other people have told me what they saw and how the story unfolded. And I'm perfectly happy to take their word for it. I know who the BBC are. I know how they work. And that's why. Or maybe take North Korea. I haven't been to North Korea this week. I don't know for certain that they are issuing lots of strongly worded rhetoric about um, how they view America and South Korea. But I am pretty certain that they have been saying various things in the media. But I have to trust other people for that piece of information. But the point is, we all live our lives taking other people's inputs and basing our belief on their input. The question is, who do you listen to and why should you listen to them? And Thomas comes to us down through the centuries as a cynic who did not believe easily But he has looked into the facts for us as someone who needed to know evidence and proof. And he stands as one who was cynical, sent out to speak to the generations to come about what he saw. People have often said to me, Pete, I wish I had your faith, but I don't and so I can't believe Now, if I was quick enough on my feet, I would respond, you do have my faith. It's just you choose to put it somewhere else. In other words, each one of us take inputs from the world around us, and we choose who we believe. And we take those different voices, and we sort out what we're going to believe and how we're going to believe. But we all rely on other people's input. We all have, in that sense, faith in order to live in this world. 
And when it comes to the Christian faith, yes, it is true, none of us here today have had the luxury of seeing face-to-face, like Thomas, the risen Lord Jesus. We don't have that luxury. But the role of Thomas and uh, the other uh, disciples and gospel writers was to give us their first-hand evidence. And that is the theme I think we see in the next and closing few verses of chapter 20. Uh, John, the writer, says this, Jesus did many other miracle, miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's just the same idea, isn't it? Those who were there have written down what they saw so that those who were not there can believe with certainty what did happen. That is the nature of Christian faith. Every single person in this room lives life by faith. The question is, who are we listening to and what are we concluding? Elsewhere in the Bible, uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about over 500 people who saw the risen Lord Jesus. Uh, People who uh, the Corinthians could have gone and spoken to to interrogate them and, and interview them to find out what they had seen. Now, for, the, for the gospel writers and the, and the Bible writers, having rational and clear and logical evidence is crucial to Christian faith. And so we have Thomas, the cynic, who would not believe unless he saw, who believed because he saw, so that we could believe who do not see. There are lots of reasons why we may be doubting here tonight. Each of us have our own stories to tell. Uh, Maybe if you come tonight with a particular doubt, maybe you want to speak to someone afterwards, maybe come and pray with uh, someone here at the front at the end. But for one particular kind of doubt, the doubt of whether the Christian faith is rational and reasonable and whether there's evidence, we have the testimony of a cynic who saw and believed. And the challenge for us is to be like Thomas, who cried out, my Lord and my God. May that be our cry this week. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this encounter between Jesus and a cynic. We thank you for the love that we see from Jesus understanding how hard faith can be and showing himself to Thomas that Thomas may believe. Father, I pray you'd help each one of us as we uh, work out our faith and as we seek to grow in our faith. pray that you would uh, help each one of us to be convinced afresh with Thomas and to cry out, my Lord and my God. Amen.